0: You're listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10:30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from our youth pastor, Josh Rogers. For those who don't know me, I'm the uh, youth and young adult pastor here at Classic City Church, and I'm very excited to uh, get to see you all and share with you all this morning. Um, If you'd like, you can go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 3. Last week, if you were here, you heard Chris Davis. If you weren't here, Chris Davis preached, Um, and he preached from the story of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And what he preached on was the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus's ministry, um, especially looking at his time in the wilderness, and how it guided him and empowered him, and how that was crucial to Jesus's life and his ministry, and how it's also crucial to our lives and our ministries as followers of Jesus. And it's only through Jesus that we can experience that Holy Spirit. I say all that because uh, you might find today strange and odd, because I'm actually going to preach on the exact same story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Someone this morning joked, oh, so you're going to get up there and just contradict everything that Chris Davis said? And I was like, wow, that's tempting, but uh, (laughs) I won't do that because that would be awful and terrible. And not true, because what he said, though I'm going to be preaching something very different, they're actually complimentary. Um, they actually work together, and so I think um, if, you, if you weren't here last week and you hear my sermon and you're interested, go listen to his, and I think it'll also complement um, each other in that way. And so I'm really excited to, to go on this little adventure with you, and we thought it would be really interesting to do this, not just because it's fun or curious but because it kind of shows you just how cool the Word of God is, how, how it's living and active, how it has power, how it has so much depth, and we need to search those depths, and we need to explore it um, in all those ways in, in order to really grow and mature in our own faith. And that's something I, I kind of, as kind of a background theme, is this idea of going from what Paul might describe as just drinking the milk, right? Just hearing the, the plain um, uh, beginning gospel that you received and you accepted, but then growing and maturing in your faith and moving on to solid food like an adult. And I think as we kind of explore some of these other aspects of the gospel, um, that'll help us mature in our faith. Um, and so, like I said, whereas uh, Chris preached on the Holy Spirit, today I want us to look at the Word of God how the word of God um, was active and significant in this, uh, this story and how Jesus trusted the word of God and he also fulfilled the word of God. So those two themes of trusting the word of God and fulfilling the word of God are incredibly crucial to what we'll be looking at today. And I like to think of this little story of Jesus in the wilderness almost as like a little microcosm of the whole gospel of Jesus's whole life in ministry. Almost like it's just like a a, a little miniature version of what he's doing throughout his ministry. And that's trusting the word of God and fulfilling the word of God in order to usher in the kingdom of heaven for us. And so um, that's something I want us to think about is those two themes and and how it's this microcosm of his life and ministry. And Jesus's life and ministry are incredibly important, not because they're just an example for us to follow, but actually because of what he was accomplishing and fulfilling, those things are just as crucial to the gospel as the cross, as Jesus dying on the cross. That might sound crazy to say, whereas I believe the cross is central and we should always look to the cross, we don't always need to jump straight to the cross because what Jesus did in his life is just as fundamental to the gospel as the cross. And Jesus' resurrection after the cross is just as fundamental to the gospel as his death because you can't have one without the other. And so really when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what we're putting our faith and trust in is his life, his death, and his resurrection. We're putting our faith in all of those things. And I think when we um, understand all of those, always looking to the cross, but remember all of those Um, it'll help us grow deeper in our understanding of the gospel and living out that gospel in our lives. And so that's what I kind of want us to accomplish this morning. I know I just like word vomited a lot, Um, but I'll be sure to repeat myself. (laughs) Um, So before we jump into the word, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for every single soul here, um, and thank you for your word that you've given um, to each one of us. Lord, I pray for you to open our hearts and our minds, including myself, to receive your word and your word only, the truth that's in your word. And though there's a lot and many layers and depths to your word, I pray that it only be your truth um, that rises to the surface and that um, changes us, motivates us, encourages us, challenges us, and um, gives us life. And so, Father, with your spirit, um, by your will, um, give power to your word today as we uh, learn from it. And I pray this on your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So I said to turn to Matthew chapter three, because that's where we'll be. If you're going to be in your Bible or your Bible app, you're going to be jumping a lot, because I'm actually going to go back to the Old Testament, back to the New Testament, back to the Old Testament. So your fingers will get a little workout so that'll be fun. Um, But before we look at Jesus's time in the wilderness, I actually think it's crucial when you're studying this, that you look at the event that happens right beforehand, which is Jesus's baptism. And so that's why I had you turn to Matthew three, even though the wilderness story is in four, because we're going to look at 13 through 16 or 17 right before we look at the story in the wilderness. And I think, I think it'll be clear um, why why that event took place right before his time in the wilderness and why Matthew and the other gospels that have these stories put that event right before. Because without this baptism and the events that take place there, um, we, uh, we, we, we can't have the, the wilderness scene. So um, I'll just open up by reading 13 through 17. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. I am well pleased. Okay, maybe you can see why I thought this was really important already. But first, um, that, that, that answer that he gives to John as to why he needed to be baptized, that answer can answer every question for why Jesus does anything before, um, before he dies. It is in order to fulfill all righteousness. Remember that, fulfill all righteousness, because that's the motivator. That's what Jesus is accomplishing, not just in the wilderness, which we'll see that is what he's accomplishing there, but also throughout his entire life, that there's this um, fulfilling of the righteousness, fulfilling of the law and the prophets, fulfilling the word of God so that The cross has power so that he can usher in the kingdom of God. That is crucial to what he is doing. So whereas John might be confused, and maybe even as we're reading scriptures, we might be confused, we need to remember that Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness, that this is crucial to the gospel, that he does this before he goes to the cross. And then the next thing that happens is two supernatural events take place. And these two supernatural events um, inform us also of what's about to take place in the wilderness. The first one is the Spirit of God comes upon Jesus, all right? It comes upon Jesus and fills him with power. In the the next section, we're going to see the first thing that takes place is after this, now that he has the Spirit like that, it guides him to the wilderness, It begins guiding him step by step in order to fulfill all righteousness. It empowers him to take on the adversary of Satan and and to um, follow God's word. And so uh, the spirit of God is incredibly crucial to the next series of events. And then this next thing where God says from heaven, the father has sent his spirit and then he says something from heaven. Literally the word of God is audible for people there standing there to hear. The crowd around him hears, John the Baptist hears, Jesus hears, this is my son, this Jesus guy, this is my son and I love him and I am pleased with him, as in I will protect him, I will be with him every step of the way, I will guard him and take care of him and guide him, he is my son, I'm gonna take care of him. That's very important for us to understand as as God's word declares, over Jesus, who he is, his identity, and not just for the people around him, but for Jesus too. This is who you are. Because in the wilderness, that's the very thing that Satan's going to attack. We think that Satan's just trying to trip Jesus up, get him to sin. But what he's getting, trying to get him to do is to deny and falter and second guess his identity as the son of God. And, and I'll, I'll show you, um, I'll show us, how uh, he's trying to accomplish that. And so that's why I think this baptism story is actually incredibly informative to what's about to take place in the wilderness. The Spirit's guiding him to the wilderness and empowering him there. And it's the word of God declaring Jesus's identity as the son of God being the very thing that Satan is going to want to challenge him on. And he's doing all of these things in order to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the word of God. And so this story actually um, lets us know what we're getting into as we jump into the wilderness. And so with that, let's, let's move forward uh, into chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I'm going to pause right there because I want us to take into account a few things. First, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by Satan. It doesn't say to fight Satan. It doesn't even say, like, in my mind, when I usually think about the wilderness, I think, oh, that was the time when Jesus fasted and prayed to prepare him for ministry. No, Jesus is already in the thick of it. He's literally going into a battleground to confront Satan. That's why the Spirit leads him there, is to confront Satan, not as a retreat as a time to relax and put his feet up before going into ministry. No, the spirit of God wanted him there to um, combat Satan. And once again, this is to fulfill all righteousness. And so I think that's really important for us to understand. Um, And then here we see what I was talking about. Ignore the part where it says, tell these stones to become bread. That's just something Satan's trying to get him to do in order to do the first thing. If you are the son of God, If you are the son of God, that's the thing that Satan is attacking with. The next temptation you're gonna see, he says it again, if you are the son of God, that's the thing that Satan is trying to get at Jesus with. He's trying to get him um, to second guess that. He's trying to get him to stumble in order to deny that identity. And so that identity as Jesus as the son of God and what that role entitles and what that means that he needs to do and fulfill um, are incredibly important. And so we see here that very much the Spirit led him in order to confront Satan, and Satan is confronting him on his identity as the Son of God. Once again, this is done in order to fulfill the Word of God. And we're going to see how Jesus does that, how he fulfills. He answers, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you have a study Bible, heck, a lot of Bibles, um, it'll have a little footnote there, and it'll tell you he's actually quoting from somewhere. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy, and I told you we were going to be flipping back and forth. And so if you'll join me, let's flip all the way to Deuteronomy 8. going to go to Deuteronomy 8. So Jesus is, is countering uh, this, this uh, attack on Jesus' role, his identity, um, by bringing up this issue of he could turn bread, uh, bread into stone, which I would argue isn't, isn't actually the issue there. And, and we'll see, because um, there's actually more context to what Jesus is quoting. Jesus is aware of the context. His audience is, Matthew is more than likely written to Jewish Christians, a Jewish audience, so they're going to be aware of the context. Satan's going to be aware of the context, because he needs to know God's word forward and backwards if he wants to trip us. And so everyone gets the context, but if you're like me and you don't know every word of Deuteronomy, you might not get the context. And so it's really important that we go there. And we're in Deuteronomy, uh, what is it? I believe one through three. It says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way out of the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands? He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, and here's where he quotes, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, so... We uh, realize a few things here. One, Jesus is in the desert, oddly enough, um, for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites were in the wilderness, also the desert, uh, for 40 years, right? And we're going to see that Jesus actually points back to Deuteronomy each time, which is uh, the law that God gave the Israelites to follow. And there's many references to their time in the wilderness because here's the law, and then he shows how the Israelites constantly uh, neglected that law. And so what we're seeing here is now we're getting into um, Jesus fulfilling all righteousness, fulfilling the word of God, because he is going to stand in the place of Israel, where Israel was in the desert being tested and prepared for righteousness to claim what God had promised Um, they failed, but where Jesus comes into the wilderness and is tempted and tested, he comes out victorious. He comes out glorious, um, succeeding. And so we're seeing here that Jesus is standing in the place of Israel, even in his actions, not just his death on the cross, but even in his actions of everything he does, And that doesn't just apply to Israel now. That applies to each one of us who put our faith and trust in him. That his life, not just his death on the cross, but even his life, is substitutionary. That he is walking the walk we were supposed to walk. He is talking the talk we were supposed to talk. He is living out the word of God in the way that we were meant to do it. And whereas we have failed, he has succeeded. And so we kind of get an idea of that picture. And then we get to the part where he quoted. And notice. When, he, when Deuteronomy is talking about man will not live on bread alone, it references manna. A lot of us are probably familiar with manna, um, but in case you're not, manna was something that God provided the Israelites when they were in the desert for those 40 years during the Exodus right? And and the idea was that God told them and promised them, I will provide for you. I will provide this manna. And so all you have to do is wake up, come out of your tent in the morning and like do on the ground, there's some kind of crumbly bread type stuff and you can gather it up and you can cook with it and you can eat it and do whatever you need with it uh, in order to survive. Because you're in this desert, you don't have time to plant crops. Or if you did, they wouldn't even grow and you're wandering around. There was no way to provide for them. So only God could provide for them. And he said, just trust me and I will provide it. Because if they didn't trust him, if they didn't believe his word, and I'm gonna keep coming back to that, the word of God that he would provide every morning, if they tried to store it in containers or, or try to cheat the system somehow and stop trusting that he would provide each and every morning, it would go rotten. It would become smelly and rotten and people would know from what tent it was coming from and know that they didn't trust the Lord, that they stored it. And so it would become gross and rotten and God wouldn't provide them the manna anymore. And so they had to every day trust that he would provide it again, trust his word that he would provide it again. And so this story is in the back of uh, uh, the writer of Deuteronomy and Jesus speaking to Satan and even to Satan, this story of the manna, that it wasn't about the manna. It was about trusting that God would provide the manna. It was about trusting his word. And so in trusting God's word that he would also provide for Jesus in that time in the wilderness, that he did not need to take matters into his own hand and turn the rock into bread like Satan had tempted him, which would then deny himself as the role of the son of God as the faithful servant of God like Israel was called to be. Instead, he trusted God's word that he was his son whom he loved and was pleased with that he trusted that he would be provided for. And so in trusting the word, Jesus fulfilled the word. In relying on God's word, he fulfilled God's word. So Satan tries another tactic. If you flip back with me to chapter four. And this time, so he's like, all right, you're gonna rely and depend on God's word? Well, then I'm gonna throw God's word at you. And so Satan says this to Jesus, The devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the Son of God, once again, that's what he's trying to attack, that identity of Jesus. If you are the Son of God, come to rescue his people. He said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, you will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, and so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. All right, we're going we're to jump down um, into Deuteronomy again. But before we do, uh, just kind of imagine the situation. He, he's, he's challenging him on this identity, this role as the son of God. And he takes him up to the top of the temple where God's people, the Israelites, come and they worship. And he says, throw yourself off and the angels will catch you. And it will prove to everyone that you are the son of God. Everyone down there coming to worship Yahweh will see that the angels rescued you and they will know you're the son of God. If you do this, you'll know for sure that you're the son of God. Not only that God told you you are, but you will know for sure that you are the son of God. And I, Satan, I'll be convinced, okay, okay, you are the son of God. If you just do this thing, you will prove it to everyone. All right? And so he's saying that God's word isn't enough. You need to prove it to yourself. And so if we turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, chapter 6 is all about um, the, the greatest commandment, love God. And it's all about what are these different ways in which we can love God. And one of the ways, one of the big fundamental ways is trusting his word and so it, it expounds on that. We'll look at verse 18. No, 16, my apologies. We'll be on chapter six, verse 16. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's what Jesus just quoted. But once again, there's more context. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did it at M- Massa, as you did it at Massa, okay? Okay. Um, At a glance, maybe many of us don't know where Massa is or what is the deal with Massa. And so just to give a little context, um, in chapter 16 of Exodus, you can actually find the story about manna. And then right after that, chapter 17, you can find the story about Massa. So if you want to write that down and go read the story about Massa later, you can. But in summary, what happened at Massa was the Israelites start getting angry and grumbling and bitter that they're out in this hot, sweltering desert they're hungry, they're thirsty, they don't have enough, and they're just tired of it. And so they start arguing and grumbling amongst themselves, and they finally bring their plea up to Moses. And they say, Moses, go before God, tell him we're thirsty, Um, tell him to prove that he's going to still be with us, that he hasn't abandoned us. Because if he has, if he doesn't prove himself, we're going to leave, we're going to go back to Egypt, we'd rather be in slavery than sitting out here in the wilderness with nothing to drink. And so he demands that that they demand that Moses have God prove that he's going to keep his word, okay? And so Moses goes inside, he tells God, and God is incredibly merciful and patient and kind and says, take your staff, go outside, smack this rock, water will pour out. And so God, is kind and gracious and answers their demands. But it's made very clear after this event that that was an act of mercy, that God did not get upset at you questioning his word. And so they named the place Massa, which means to test, to prove, because they demanded that God prove his word. And so that's why Deuteronomy references that, because testing the Lord means this idea of having God prove what he has told you already. It's as if now we say that Jesus Christ has saved us, but then you demand that God prove it to you, that he does something for you. you. You get some kind of feeling. You get some kind of reward. You get some kind of thing that makes it so clear that yes, you in fact do have God's grace through Jesus Christ, which might sound like something that we sometimes do, often in our prayer, demanding that God prove it. And, and I want to be clear. I think there is a, a discretion here testing, I think we can see, comes from fear. They're afraid God has abandoned them. They're afraid they're going to die of thirst. It comes from fear. I do believe something similar to testing, but definitely not testing. Discernment is a good thing, but discernment is motivated by trust. We trust the Lord, and because we trust him, we humbly seek where he is taking us, right? Whereas testing means we doubt the Lord and we want him to prove it to us. And so if I could, I think it's okay to ask for God, like, God, help me, sh-, you know, show me, make this clear to me. You know, but are you coming at it from a, an attitude of fear in your heart or an attitude of trust? And so that's my little um, thing on that. But we see how in Massa, the Israelites failed because they tested God. They made him prove his word. And so Satan is saying, hey, are you sure you're the son of God? Why don't you have God prove it? And so this is what Jesus is defending against. He's saying, I won't make God prove it. When he declared at my baptism that I am the son of God whom he loves, I am the one whom he will fulfill and usher in the kingdom of God, I will trust it. I will believe his word. And so in the last attack, we saw that he was going to rely and depend on the word. And now we see that he's going to believe it and not make God prove himself. And now let's look at the last attack that Satan has. Verse 18 in Matthew chapter four. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. I always thought this was odd. Well, let me finish. And then the devil, what Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Um, I always thought this was like an odd temptation with Jesus. Because one, it seems to have broken kind of the pattern going on. And then the other thing is I was always confused. Like, does Satan have the power to do this? Like, what's the deal? Also, um, isn't Jesus God? So of course he has the, all these kingdoms, I guess. Um, and kind of the easy answer to that is like, yeah, sure, sort of. Um, but what's really going on here is it's actually the same threat. It's still the threat of the Son of God because the role of the Son of God was to usher in the kingdom of God, to bring the kingdom of God to fruition and, and um, over all other all over creation and all other kingdoms. And so that's the role as the Son of God, What he is meant to do is usher in the kingdom of God. If you you read the Gospels constantly, Jesus is talking about um, the kingdom of God, about what the kingdom of God looks like, how people behave in the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God will come about, how long it will take, and what kind of way it will come. He's constantly going on about the kingdom of God, and he's preparing people for the kingdom of God. So this idea of the kingdom of God having power in the world and, and Jesus being the one that ushers it in is very close to Jesus's heart because that's the, the, the mission that he's on. That's the, the center of his ministry is to bring about the kingdom of God. And one of the ways he does that is by um, saving us and bringing us in as children to the kingdom of God. And so that's very central to Jesus's ministry. And we think, ah, yeah, but is that a big temptation for Jesus? All I have to do is point you to uh, Jesus's time right before he gets arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, When Jesus is praying to God, he's in agony, he's tormented, he's in so much pain, he's crying out to the Father, take this cup from me, because Jesus knows the way to usher in the kingdom of God is a painful, difficult, hard path. And so he prays to God, take this cup of pain, suffering, and death away from my lips so I don't have to drink of it, so I don't have to go this path of pain and suffering and death. Right there, that shows you this is this, this, this goal of bringing in and ushering in the kingdom of God is going to be a very difficult one, and it's not one that Jesus is looking forward to, right? His human nature is not looking forward to that and is agonizing over it. But immediately in that prayer, he follows it up, but not my will, but your will, the Father's will be done. And so ultimately, he submits his will to the Father's will. He trusts the word, he fulfills the word, fulfilling all righteousness. And so we know from that story that this is something that Jesus agonizes over, right? This idea of, is there an easier way? Is there a way that I can avoid this path of ushering in the kingdom that avoids the pain, the suffering, and the death? And so that's what Satan is tempting him with, an easy way out an easier path to ushering in the kingdom. Now, would that fulfill all righteousness? And that one, no, we all in hindsight go, well, no, that, that wouldn't even work probably. Um, and yeah, you'd be right. But that's what he's tempting Jesus with. In this moment, Jesus as a man is truly being tempted with this situation of an easier way out, an easier path from the harder but righteous one. And I think that's something At first, I don't relate with this idea of... I've never been tempted with all kingdoms on creation, personally. (laughs) Not yet. Uh, (laughs) But something I do relate with is this idea of taking the easy way out. I think every single morning, each one of us is tempted and has to make a decision on taking the easy way out. Will we trust God's word and take the hard, righteous path of trusting him? or will we take the easy way out will we obey and live out his word or will we take the path that satan has offered a selfish easy path and so this is a temptation i think we all can very much relate to and so jesus we said he answers satan and he answers him from once again deuteronomy chapter 6 the love god chapter and you can find it in 13 verse 13 And it's a little different. And I'm going to pick on some of those differences to help us kind of maybe appreciate uh, what he's saying to Satan better. Instead, Deuteronomy says in verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, take your oaths in his name. So worship and fear those can be interchangeable, but to me, fear definitely communicates uh, more of what he is saying here. He's talking about coming to God in awe, in utter, utter respect, to lay down everything um, before him, right? To just give him complete honor and complete respect, right? Just the idea of complete, utter uh, pouring out of yourself and only worshiping him. And so, in my mind, this fear fear of God communicates a little more um, of the idea of worship. And it, it expounds on that, to serve him only and take an oath in his name. Meaning, if I fear the Lord and I respect his word so much, I will only do his word. I will follow and obey and only live out his word. And the next part where it says, and only take an oath in his name means I will only live out his word and follow his word. And if I don't taking the oath, if I don't, then may God curse me. So it's like pretty serious. Like if I don't, may God curse me if I don't follow and obey his word. And so that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. And what's interesting is he immediately tells Satan to get away from him. And so in a way, he's not only saying, hey, obey God's word, live out that word, he is also doing it. He, in the process, has been doing the very thing that he's saying right here, which is to live out the word. And if you wanna trust God's word, really put your trust in it. It's like putting your trust in a chair. If you really wanna show that you trust a chair, you'll go and sit on it, right? (laughs) And so, this is how Jesus is showing. He is trusting God's word. He is uh, relying and depending on God's word. He is believing in God's word. And finally, he's living it out. That's how he is showing utter trust in God's word. And by doing this, he is fulfilling all righteousness. He is fulfilling the law. He's fulfilling the prophets. He's fulfilling the word of God. And so there's this element of trusting God's word and fulfilling God's word. And that's what we're called to do too. And yet we know we've failed that time and time again. And that's why this is a part of the gospel. This isn't just a moral lesson, but it's a part of the gospel because Jesus lived out that word. He obeyed the word. He lived the word. He believed in the word. He trusted the word. He relied and depended on God's word where we didn't, but he did it for us. So when he goes on the cross and he represents us before God, he bears our sins, um, he bears our sins facing the wrath of God. He did that for us. And the reason he could do that for us was because he walked the walk we were always called to walk, through obeying His word, through trusting God's word. And so Jesus succeeded where we failed so that he could pay the ransom with his life so we don't have to. When we were weak, when you've been hungry and thirsty and you've snapped at somebody, you've been uh, unrighteously angry at something, Jesus has also come to that very point of temptation where you snap, where you sin, where you failed. But instead he said no. He did not fail. Instead he honored the Lord with his next words, with his next thoughts, with his next deeds. When you've been tempted to take an easy route, to take a selfish route, when you've been tempted to to put yourself on the throne or worship something else in God's place, when you've come to that very point of temptation, so has Jesus. But where we failed, he said no, I will trust God's word. I will only worship the Lord with my next actions. When we in this pluralistic world look at a lot of different options and are tempted to not trust God's word, but to trust other things, to maybe trust our experience or to trust something else in this world above God's word. When we are tempted not to trust in his son in our place, Jesus said no. And instead, he did trust God's word. He believed that he was the Son of God. He believed in the word of God. And he trusted in that his life, his death, and his resurrection would, in fact, save us and usher in the kingdom of God, no matter how painful or difficult it might be. Where we have been tempted and failed, Jesus has been tempted, but came out glorious and victorious over sin. Though Jesus was starving, he fed the masses. Though Jesus was a king, he came and served us. Though Jesus was righteous and was free of sin, he came and bore all of our sins. Though Jesus did so much good, he only would give glory to the Father, not himself. Though Jesus suffered and, and was in pain, he came and gave us rest Though Jesus denied himself bread from a rock when he was hungry, he came and gave up his body as the bread of life. And when we could not live a righteous life, pure and blameless, Jesus did it for us. When you could not die to wipe away your own transgressions and sins, Jesus did it for us. When you did not have hope of conquering death and sin, Jesus did it for you. And the Father in his mercy sent and had Jesus painfully and harshly and difficultly walk that path, fulfilling all righteousness for us. And so Jesus' death on the cross is not the only part of the gospel, but every step he took, every breath he took, every word he spoke, every thought he had, every stir of his heart was also a part of the gospel because those stirs, those breaths, those words, those actions When God looks at us, those who put our faith and trust in Jesus, he sees those actions. That's what God sees now. And so what Jesus had in his life, he gave it to us. The righteousness that Jesus came with and earned through fulfilling God's word and trusting God's word, he poured out on us through his blood shed on the cross. And so that's what I want us to take away is this is that Jesus truly did trust God's word and fulfill God's word. And he did that for our sakes. And he did that so that we can now be free without burden, without shame, also trust God's word and fulfill it through his Holy Spirit, that we can now trust and fulfill God's word for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, for your word. Father, I pray for each one of us, especially myself, each one of us, that through your grace, through your blood, we can begin to trust your word as you trusted it. Lord, that we can walk in your word and fulfill your word and obey your word in the same way that you did. Father, thank you so much for the righteousness we now have through Jesus Christ. And we just pray this all in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org